KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. You know, I've seen lots of jokes about this online, but of course, a lot of people have already pointed out that a lot of zombie movies now have been rendered completely ridiculous because most of them don't feature, for instance, people, you know, saying this isn't real and running directly toward the zombie to get bitten because obviously it's all a hoax. That's right. For anyone who thought people in horror movies behaved in ways that defied reason and logic, well... Welcome to the coronavirus pandemic, where all people have to do is wear a mask and stay six feet apart to avoid infection. And instead of following those simple instructions, they're outraged that their freedoms are being infringed. I mean, they're fine with the rule that says shirts and shoes required to enter a restaurant. But damn it, don't tell them they have to wear a mask to keep themselves and others safe. Welcome to another episode of the listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Since this is Cinema Junkie's 200th episode, I decided I should schedule my annual checkup with the Doctor of the Dead, Arnold T. Blumberg, as a way of celebrating, since there's nothing more reanimating than a discussion of zombies during a real pandemic. Arnold has written a number of books on zombies, film, and pop culture. Plus, he's curated a pop culture museum, taught college courses in zombies, comic books, and superheroes, and appeared in documentaries such as Doc of the Dead and the 50 Best Horror Movies You've Never Seen. And his diagnosis for the health of horror in the age of coronavirus? Well, COVID is ruining the zombie apocalypse by making the willful ignorance of real people scarier than any threat from the undead. In fact, there are some brains out there that no self-respecting zombie would dare eat. So, as a follow-up to my previous podcast with Max Brooks, author of World War Z, I'll continue to explore what we can learn from zombies as we try to survive our current COVID pandemic. Even Dr. Navaz Karangia of UC San Diego Health says we can learn from a work of fiction like Brooks's World War Z. Yeah, so I think there are a number of things that Max Brooks got right in his zombie apocalypse book. So one of the most salient ones, I think, is because no one wanted to believe that a serious pandemic was occurring in the book. There was a delay in using the right tactics to combat it, which resulted in a lot of preventable death and suffering. So while COVID's not a zombie apocalypse, it would be great if we could learn from World War Z, take this pandemic seriously, and initiate the appropriate containment tactics to prevent it from snowballing. As opposed to the book, we don't have to flee to Canada to escape this pandemic. All we have to do is wear a mask and social distance. As if zombies knew a real pandemic was heading our way, there was a surge of undead films in 2019, with more than a dozen infecting cinemas. In the new millennium, countries like Chile, Cambodia, Indonesia, Thailand, Israel, South Korea, Norway, and Nigeria have each boasted their first zombie movie, with each country creating their own particular strain of the undead. Even countries that I thought would be immune to zombies, like Belgium, have delivered a full-blown zombie apocalypse. I just need to take one quick break before exposing you to my reanimating discussion of zombies in the time of coronavirus with Arnold T. Blumberg. 
KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Arnold, you are going to be my guest for episode number 200 of Cinema Junkie. I am very honored. So I feel like we have these kind of annual checkups with the Doctor of the Dead. So I just wanted to check in and see what are you doing right now? Um, you teach, so are you going to be online? How is your life going in this coronavirus crisis? Oi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a short answer. How about that? Uh, it, it has been difficult without, without going into too much detail. My wife and I have been in the house except for one important doctor's visit since early March. We expect to be for the foreseeable future. I have no intention of going anywhere. And both of my parents are in various stages of uh, serious medical distress. So we've been taking care of a lot of that by remote in the middle of a global pandemic. So it's probably been one of the most stressful and anxiety-ridden times of my life. It's actually genuinely made me rethink how much I'm focusing on zombies and other stuff uh, and made me gravitate to some other things because I thought, well, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. And as far as the teaching, yes, I'm fortunate in that the teaching I'm doing, the university I work with, uh, is largely sticking to online only and not requiring anybody to do anything in person because of course that would be insane um so i'm i'm very happy about that so i will be teaching and the fall semester begins at the end of this month and uh, i have the same sections of first year composition i normally do but we'll be doing it entirely online and i did most of that in the spring and it worked very well so i really don't think the transition is that difficult and will zombies come into play in any of your classes this year well, I do use Night of the Living Dead every year in that class. I don't have any intention of like reinventing the wheel since there's so many other things to get used to. For me, I mean, in terms of using a bit more of the online facilities and everything. So I'm sticking to the materials I normally use, but it'll be interesting because that'll certainly, um, I mean, in many ways, probably positively in the sense that uh, I think the kids will get more into all the obvious metaphorical connections and um, and see parallels that maybe they wouldn't have more immediately in the past. So, yeah, I'll still be using Night of the Living Dead. It's, it, it works very well, and I don't see any reason to change that. I met you because of our common love for zombies, and you have the moniker of Doctor of the Dead. So remind people why you are so well-versed in zombies. Okay. Well, uh, it happened uh, kind of strangely, just kind of rolled out over the course of a few years. A friend of mine, Andy Hirschberger, and I, we co-authored one of the very first uh, published print guides to the history of zombie cinema. It was called Zombie Mania, and it came out at a time in the early 2000s when uh, the genre was really experiencing its most recent surge back to popularity that it has really ever since never receded from. Uh, and then shortly after that, I pitched the idea of teaching a course in zombies and popular media at the University of Baltimore. Walking Dead debuted that very same fall. Uh, everything kind of exploded from there. I'll try to avoid making the obvious viral jokes at this point, <laughs> but it did. 
it did go that way. And then subsequently from there, I did all number of other projects. I had a long running podcast, Doctor of the Dead, where we focused uh, heavily on the zombie genre. I will shortly, finally, it sounds like, be launching a new incarnation of the podcast with my wife, Ghouls in the House, where we'll continue to look at horror in general and all the other things we love. But all those things together, cameos here and there, some documentary stuff, kind of established me as one of the people to go to to talk about all things zombie. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And it still is, although now I feel the world has given it a tinge of uh, a darker edge, uh, a realistic edge that maybe is a bit painful. I don't know how you felt when this whole coronavirus pandemic hit and we were forced to quarantine, but my go-to thing was Max Brooks's book, World War Z. I felt like everything I kind of needed to know or prepare for or think about was kind of outlined in that book. And I don't know what your first response was when all this was coming down, but did you go to a zombie reference? It inevitably came up in my mind, yeah. But frankly, to be perfectly honest, and, and for those people that think, oh, they're really zombie fans and they like to hear the people that are into it or always going to it, I think I was, I was uh, more consumed with, there I still managed to get a zombie joke in there i was more concerned with the 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 fear of all the things that were really happening than to draw too many parallels although as i've subsequently revisited some things that i love in the zombie genre i've sometimes again painfully been struck by just how close to reality some of these things are in a way that makes it now for me anyway difficult to revisit. For instance, just for the hell of it a few days ago while killing some time doing some other stuff around the house, I put on Last Man on Earth and I thought oh, it's been a while. I'll throw Last Man on Earth on. How did I not remember that Last Man on Earth is just replete with people denying that the virus on the wind is going to kill them all and then watching their families die and struggling to find a cure and it's too late and I'm watching this and I'm thinking this was a bad choice. Is Europe's disease carried on the wind? Is it Ben? could be. And if it is? It isn't, Verge. Is that what you really think or just what you'd like to think? I, I cannot accept half-baked theories that sell newspapers. I'm, I'm a scientist, not an alarmist. You're whistling past the graveyard. Is that a commentary on my work at the lab? We both know how hard you've worked. I'm sorry, Ben. I just can't accept the idea of universal disease. This is a bad thing to put on. And I actually didn't finish watching it. So sorry, Vincent Price. Yeah, I recently watched that as well, too, because they did a like a an online viewing party for it. And there were a lot of scenes in that film where I'm going like, oh, my God, that's so kind of prescient about what's happening yes. now. Remember, the, like, there's the bits where they're they're like self-isolate. They have the daughter isolated in the room and, and the mother is saying, yeah, please don't go to work. I have to go to work. And I'm thinking this is too much. I can't. Oh, sweetheart, look, if you don't feel well, please go back to bed. I'm just a little tired, that's all. I wish somebody would find a vaccine. It's all we're working on at the lab, Verge. Maybe you better not send her to school today. All right. You... You think you should go to work? I have to. Oh, Bob. Bob. I'm so... Frightened. 
So yeah, I had to turn it off. Well, and for me, one of the things about World War Z that I found so fascinating, and this is the book, not the film by any means, but the book really laid out this kind of looking at the social structure and the infrastructure and talking about which countries might fare better against the virus and it wouldn't necessarily be the superpowers, it might be a smaller country. And some of those things I think played out in really interesting ways. And while other people were going like, wow, why is New Zealand doing so well or something? Right. I was like, well, some of those things were laid out in pop culture for you. Absolutely. And I mean, I, but I, I'm just, uh, I'm daily, particularly lately, daily struck by the realization that I, I genuinely sometimes can't even wrap my head around just how thoroughly irredeemably stupid so many people around us are (laughs) it's it's mind-numbing and of course it goes all the way to the top and then you know i've seen lots of jokes about this online but of course a lot of people have already pointed out that a lot of zombie movies now have been rendered completely ridiculous because most of them don't feature for instance people you know saying this isn't real and running directly toward the zombie to get bitten because obviously it's all a hoax and all the things we used to question is are people behaving too stupidly in horror movies no not at all (laughs) there's plenty of room for more i guess zombie movies of the future will perhaps reflect a lot of this and uh they always do since we're fans of zombies, I do want to talk about zombie films in our in the context of our current pandemic. And I had the opportunity to interview Max Brooks because he did an online panel for Comic-Con. And one of the things he mentioned, and this kind of references back to what you just said about, oh, nobody calls the zombie apocalypse a, a, a hoax or a fake virus. But one of the things he pointed out is he mentioned how zombies can be a perfect metaphor for a virus. Because to me, the fast zombie is something like Ebola, which is so scary, it provokes a response. When Ebola hit in West Africa a few years ago, it was so obviously terrifying that we marshaled the entire resources of the United States and sent the US Army to West Africa to hit that virus head on, and we won. The slow zombie, the zombie that you can underestimate, that you can blow off, is this virus that we're facing right now. Because in order for a plague to be successful and be that plague to be airborne or waterborne or walking on two legs, it must have baked into its strategy the ability to slip under our radar. That's why my zombies are always slow zombies because initially they have to be uh, underestimated. The same thing with this virus. In light of that comment, uh, do you see zombie films kind of breaking down into kind of those categories? I think so. And I think they kind of always have. There have been, you know, the different subspecies, if you want to call them that, of zombie that we've seen over the years from the shambling, slow-moving, reanimated corpses of the Romero films to the living infected dead, of not dead, but living infected viral victims of things like 28 Days Later and so many others in between. And you can map them to certain basic metaphorical connections. And I've often talked about in the past, just that, the idea that there's a divergence here between zombies that represent slow moving, you know, the the idea of horror versus terror is something that I've often uh, talked about. You have like an animal racing you down 
and ready to destroy you. And that's that fast moving kind of idea. The slow moving one is one that's deceptive and, and uh, lulls you into a false sense of security. And sure, you can map these to the kinds of things we're facing in the real world. We always could. And now with the virus out there, unfortunately, we have a very potent connection. And I would agree that in some sense, you could argue it fits the Romero mold a little more. I would say it diverges a little bit though in the idea that even the Romero ghouls or zombies, as mindless as they are, you're still dealing with them as a creature. And I think one of the biggest problems we have in the world today is this insane, one of the many of them, is this insane reaction I see from some of these really deluded people saying, you know, I'm not going to give in to the fear. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this virus defeat me. It's like, you know, this is not a living being you're facing. This is not someone that's going to react to your bravado. It will kill you just as easily if you, you know, do the things right as not. And I guess the difference is you're facing like a Romero corpse. You could theoretically deal with it, if you know what I mean. And, and it behaves like an animal. This is not an animal. This is something with, with no mind and just the desire to infect. So it's, it's a little bit different. Well, a lot different, obviously. But, um, but sure, you can map these things to it. And the zombie from past, present, and certainly future uh, will always serve as a symbol that can connect to these kind of things in the real world. And what do you think actually makes people more afraid in the sense of, with a zombie, you can see it coming at you and you can kind of block the door and know that it's out there and you have to somehow deal with it. A virus is this invisible thing. Scientists can't even agree on whether it's a living organism or not. Uh, which to you seems kind of more terrifying? Uh, for me, easily, the virus, because it's real. It, the Everything we know about it suggests that its impact on the body is extraordinarily diverse and horrifying. And uh, there is nothing, nothing in any fictional universe to me that can possibly be as frightening as a real virus like this. So I don't see it even as a contest. But once again, going back to what I feel will be a recurring point for me, it seems like a lot of people out there would think otherwise. So perhaps there are people that think the zombie is more frightening. Of course, the difference is the zombie is never going to happen and the virus is here right now. So uh, I definitely think the invisible killer that is capable of infecting and, and killing at this kind of level is, is always gonna be more frightening. But of course, what we do in pop culture, what we do in entertainment and storytelling is explore and, and as I've said many times in the past, process and try to deal with those fears and give them a shape and a purpose and I guess in a sense, that's a good way of looking at the zombie as a figure. It is giving something like this that is amorphous and difficult to understand and perhaps overwhelming as a concept and give it a shape and a purpose. Well, when this all started, I kind of felt like, oh, the virus is really scary. And then as it progressed, I felt like, you know, I'm not nearly as scared of the virus as I am of people. Oh. Like it's, it's to me, it's kind of like, if people all just behaved in a smart, rational way, social distanced, wore their masks, uh, treated it as a real threat, mm -hmm. I would feel safer than I do going like, hmm, if I go to the store, there might be that one person who doesn't believe in wearing a mask who decides to stand right next to me in line 
and breathe on me and cough on me. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I guess in a way it's interesting. It brings us back to one of those old tropes of the of the uh, genre that actually winds up proving to be perfectly true, which is the real monster is the human being standing next to you. Yes. Um, <laughs> way, way too close and not at all six feet or more away from you. So yeah, I agree with you. The people are the are the real terror in this situation. Cities are under siege. If these creatures ever develop the power to think, to reason, even in the most primitive way. People are said to be establishing outposts in big cities and raiding small rural towns for supplies, like outlaws. Zombies have a history of dealing with social commentary, and George Romero reinvented the modern zombie with Night of the Living Dead and kind of layered in this sense of, of social commentary to it. And I'm wondering if there might be a couple of his films, especially Night of the Living Dead and possibly Land of the Dead. How long are you gonna let Coffin push around? You like shining his shoes, pressing his pants? He didn't build that place. He just took it over kept the best for himself and left us with a slum to live in. But if there was enough of us, if all of you would join up, we could make this a fit place to live in. That sort of illuminate what some of the issues are today in the sense of race and class, which seem to be affecting how this pandemic is actually playing out. Oh, sure. I, I, I would agree completely. You can find a lot of these parallels. Going with the, the later one first, I only just revisited Land of the Dead for the first time in a while, just a short while ago. It's not one that I tend to like think of putting on again or, or watch. My wife tends to revisit it a little bit more and she put it on a while back and watching it. And it is so much a product of like the Bush era. It was my ingenuity that took an old world and made it into something new. I put up the fences to make it safe. I hired the soldiers and paid for their training. I kept the people off the streets by giving them games and vices, which cost me money. But I spent it because the responsibility is mine. Now, do you understand the meaning of the word responsibility? We have to do what we have to do. And yet, so much of it translates perfectly well to the present, because it's all really the same kind of stuff going on there. There's the, you know, the elite 1%. Uh, who are living in their complete bubble of delusion and, you know, thinking that they're immune and, and protected. Everyone else, and particularly people of color, women, anyone else who isn't rich white guy have been completely disenfranchised and left out in the cold. Oh, with the 20 grand you owe me from last night and the money from all the other nights together, I got enough for my own place. You mean here in the green? Yo, why not? I'm sorry, Mr. DeMora, but there's a very long waiting list. Well, how long? Well, this is an extremely desirable location. Space is very limited. You mean restricted, don't you? Well, I do have a board of directors, and I have a membership committee. They have to approve. Don't, don't, don't do this to me. Don't, don't. How long have I been working for you? Three years, taking out your garbage, cleaning up after you. And then you're gonna say I'm not good enough? Let me tell you something. You're gonna let me in, because I know what goes on around here. Do your committee members know what the fuck is going on with the garbage? 
Is you gonna let me in, hear me? Maybe we could talk about this when you're a little less excited. There's a lot in Land of the Dead that is absolutely and frighteningly prescient because the situation we're facing then is just a thousand times worse right now. I won't be needing this man anymore. I won't say it's the best movie in the world. It's certainly not the apex of his career, and there's a lot in it that, that you could criticize as a film. But in terms of us talking about it as social commentary, it's very appropriate to look at that now and see how it connects. Complicating our current pandemic is the fact that we are also dealing with civil unrest at the same time. Possibly being quarantined at home with having less to do is part of what has made people more aware of other issues going on. But in Night of the Living Dead, we have this shocking ending, which spoilers if anybody <laughs> hasn't seen it, sorry. It's over 50 years, <laughs> catch up. But um, in that film, the shocking ending is, is he's a human survivor. The cops are, or the local authorities, the sheriff are coming and they shoot him. All right, Vince, hit him in the head, right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. Again, this kind of resonates a little differently right now because we're in a pandemic and we're very much aware of police brutality and the George Floyd murder. And having that ending amidst this zombie pandemic kind of just resonates a little differently today than when I might have seen that film decades ago. Sure. And I mean, and all I can think is I teach it. I talk about it all the time. I've written about it. We talked about it in the past when I did the book Journey of the Living Dead. I used that movie as like the centerpiece. So I spent a lot of time in that book delving into it. But it's I'm constantly reminded of the fact that I'm still I'm a white guy commenting on this. There's there's no way I can possibly have the the appropriate context and the true understanding of the kind of pain and suffering and impact that all these social and cultural constructs had have had on this community and these people. And so I feel like at times I feel that and probably am inadequate to the task of really covering these things, but at least feel like, okay, if we can shed light on these kind of things. And I, I always enjoy teaching Night of the Living Dead in that composition class every year because I always get a group of young people who most of whom have never seen it before, some of whom have very visceral reactions to anything. I try, by the way, very much from the beginning of the semester to, to explain to everyone the kind of material we're going to deal with and to make sure they understand for sensitivity reasons. If you don't think, I don't tell them the specifics, but enough to say, you know, if you're going to be sensitive to these kind of things, you should think about it because this will be part of what we do. And I've never really had anybody back away from it, but the reactions can be intense. The conversations afterward are usually very enlightening and students always come up with insights I never had. Um, and in a way, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see, as you just pointed out, what the reaction is gonna be now when we are so aware of, of so many of these factors and use that film as a lens to look at these problems in our society that are that are baked right into this country from day one and before. Dwayne Jones in that movie is still an amazing performance and 
it still always strikes me that of everyone in that film who may or may not have had it uh, in their mind what they were doing and they were making it and you know talk to them at different points in their career and they'll either own it or not Dwayne Jones it sounds like by all accounts was very much aware of what this film could represent and what his role could represent uh, and it just gives it that extra level of, of intensity that, that makes it just fascinating to revisit every time. Yeah, because you think about it, and there's various stories of, of exactly how he was cast, but the role was not specifically written for a black actor. And you do think about the fact if a white actor had played it, that ending today might not stir the same kind of conversation if the sheriffs go out there and accidentally kill a white guy who is not a zombie. But in today's context, it really plays like, oh, dude, if that had been a white man, this wouldn't have happened. And and that's kind of the conversation that needs to be happening. And it's interesting that this film is decades old and still has that power to shock and stir that conversation. Sure. And, and one of the things that I started incorporating into it uh, when I've been teaching it, because it gives it more of a modern context, and, and at least this is something that more students tend to be familiar with from the outset is I usually incorporate some comments from Jordan Peele because he did some interviews when he was doing Get Out about how he was thinking of his project as something from which you could draw a direct line back to Dwayne Jones and and Night of Living Dead. So there is a very direct connection to the present day and the current conversation in pop culture of exploring these ideas and you know for everybody that thinks oh it's a 50 plus year old film and and yes it's not the most polished movie in the world and some of the acting is dodgy not Dwayne Jones but almost everybody else uh and and some other things but it doesn't matter because the reason why it stands the test of time is just how potent messages that they captured in that whether they were conscious of it or not and to be honest the conscious aspect doesn't matter the point is the movie is this amazing um, microcosm and it's of American culture and it doesn't matter that it's 1968 because you look at it in 2020 and it still has the same impact. Well, another thing that Max Brooks raised when I spoke to him, and this reflects both issues about the protests and about the virus, is this sense that there aren't the storytellers to kind of get the message of the virus across to people and that pop culture is sometimes the best means to do that. Whereas if you have a scientist or a politician or a news outlet talking in data and numbers, you know, people may not react, but when you have something that kind of hits you emotionally or hooks you into a character or gives you a perspective that's very personal, that story, that narrative sense can sometimes get information to people better than, you know, these other means. It's an interesting observation. I I do wish we lived in a world where a doctor or a scientist with a lifetime of experience stood in front of people on television or, or wherever and said, you know, put your damn mask on and everybody would just go, okay, because you, because you know what you're talking about. Like I said, it's just, it's crushing to find out just how oblivious people are to things like, I don't know, facts. But he's right. I mean, the the idea is for better and worse, 
we have a culture that has been built very, very powerfully around the idea of sharing stories with one another. You ever, by the way, just as a side note, you ever, by the way, actually stop and think to yourself for a minute just how much money and time and an extraordinary investment has been spent in grown adults pretending for other grown adults? Like when you really think, when you really think about it for a second, you think to yourself, wait a minute, why do we do this all so much? And of course, if you really start to delve into that psychologically and otherwise, you think, well, what what is it that it says about human beings that we claim to be adults at a certain point, mature, grown beings, and yet we play pretend and for other people and tell stories that aren't real. And and yes, people like you and me, we we look at them and we analyze them and we say, here's what they reflect about the real world. But it's fascinating when you really step back for a minute and think, but wait a minute, that's a lot of just pretending. And of course, that's the idea that I think he's getting at is that that we have trained people to absorb a lot of information and a lot of cultural content in that way. Maybe perhaps, and I'm just coming up with this in the moment, but maybe even to the detriment of what I was saying earlier of someone just directly saying, here are the facts, here's truth. Now take that and behave appropriately with that truth and facts. It's like, yeah, but could you give me a movie instead with, with some explosions and, and then have the hero tell me these things? And maybe that's a problem that we have. There was another panel at Comic-Con that uh, dealt with conspiracy theories. And one idea that came up was the reason why people get drawn to conspiracy theories is it's a much more interesting narrative than a, a more straightforward news story. Like yeah. they feel like they can get involved in it and kind of try to ferret out details by going online and seeing what they can find where these connections are and that it engages them more in that sense than straight up news. And that was right. an interesting thing to me is like, oh, maybe that's why it's so attractive to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I read years ago, the one of the other things people tend to bring up too is that as as crazy as it is to think that people would want to believe in like some dark deep state conspiracy about this and that and the other the point is it provides order the, the world is messy life is chaotic things just happen um and yet people are afraid of that it's it's terrifying to think that things can just happen but if you think that it only happens because hundreds of people work for an extraordinary amount of time as part of some kind of dark organization to make it happen as frightening as that is it's more reassuring because it means things have to be planned and executed in a certain way and it provides order out of chaos and at the risk of uh doing a quick plug and i'm sorry but one of my publishing company's next book's coming up is going to be an essay collection on the X-Files. And one of the things that we discovered in doing it now is that it's an extraordinary time to look back at that show now because so many of the people commenting on the show in that book are pointing out that they now believe that that show may actually be part of the problem, that it may have actually oh, wow. elevated the concept <laughs> of conspiracy theory, yeah, to the point of uh, inuring people to it at the wrong time. Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's that too. That goes a little far afield, but it's, it's uh, we're, we're in strange times. So, so uh, it's interesting to look back at these things and, and see them in a different light. 
Well, because of my interest in zombies, I am also interested in neuroscience, just because to me, zombies represent kind of a metaphor for me for mental decay, for things like dementia and Alzheimer's. And I'm actually speaking to a neuroscientist about how COVID affects the brain. And I wanted to talk to you about the scary aspect of zombies that goes beyond just the they're spreading a virus, they'll bite you or they'll consume you. But one of the things that I've always found really scary is that zombies are us. They look like us. They were us. They could be a loved one. Uh, and I was just uh, like, I, I still vividly remember the scene in 28 Days Later when Brendan Gleeson, another spoiler, when Brendan Gleeson gets infected. Sorry, I lost my temper. Hannah, I love you very much. What? Keep away from me. Stay where you are. Dad? Keep away from me! Dad? Keep away from me! Keep away from me! Keep away! Keep away! What's wrong? Dad! Jen! Jen is infected! No! No! Jen! No! Jen, kill it! knows that he's got like just a few seconds left before he's going to lose his humanity and that moment was just really impactful and it's that sense of losing yourself identity losing who you are and i just wanted to find out from you like if that aspect of zombies is also something that you find scary or have particular memories of i definitely find it scary i find it incredibly sad it's it's an aspect of it that if I'm watching a zombie movie, you know, I know some people might think this sounds crazy, but you and I and other people that are fans know what I'm talking about. If I'm trying to watch a zombie movie just for the fun of it or just watch a fun zombie movie or like uh, uh, an action kind of thing, that's not the kind of plot point that I like to see explored too much because it's too painful. You know, if you're watching something, though, for the purpose of exploring that idea or, or you know, you're in the right mindset to have a serious character study of something. It's a very powerful symbolic way of exploring that. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's one of the most intriguing questions too that always comes up in various versions of the zombie genre is, you know, even when it comes down to preserving life, it's like, well, should you try to destroy a zombie? How do you know that the person is not still in there somehow? Is that person still a person? In fact, one of the, one of the points that I remember when things really were going mainstream with the launch of Walking Dead was, um, and Robert Kirkman's talked about it multiple times in interviews. If you go back to the very first episode of Walking Dead, when the very first little girl zombie walks out and Rick faces the little girl zombie, we see her feet under the car first and she stops and picks up the teddy bear. Or is it a bunny? I can't remember now. I should know these things. But anyway, she, she picks up the stuffed animal and it's a weird moment because it suggests she recognizes it or she wants it or she thinks it's something she should have back. And Kirkman later said that they dialed back on doing anything like that again. Um, some things with Morgan's wife too, doing anything like that again that acknowledged the possibility that there is a person in there because they realized that created a level of, comp of complexity that they wouldn't want to deal with in the ongoing show. 
So they wanted to avoid that entire issue. The zombie is just going to be like a scarecrow and, and that's it. You got to shoot it. You got to drop it. That's all that matters. Don't worry about there being a person. There isn't one. But as you point out, some of the most powerful, depressing, but emotionally impactful storytelling explores that idea. And you're right, it has a connection to dementia. And my mother's going through uh, some aspects of that right now, too. So mm. it hits close to home. Yeah. Well, dealing with it on kind of a more humorous level in Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> when Shaun's stepfather becomes infected. Sure, we can't just leave your dad. He's not my dad. Oh, Shaun. Mom, I, he was, but he's not anymore. I really think we No, listen to me, Mom, listen. There's not even your husband in there. Okay? I know it looks like him, but there is nothing of the man you loved in that car now. Nothing! Let's go, shall we? And he turns off the loud music in the car. Right. Which obviously kind of goes like, ah, maybe there is a little bit of him. And at the end of, the, of Shaun of the Dead, again, spoiler, uh, you know, his best friend has been turned into a zombie, but he keeps him in the shed. Player two has entered the game. Ed! it's giving you the quote-unquote kind of happy ending saying like well there's a person in there and we can kind of learn figure out a way to live with them yeah <laughs> and make them a part of our life yeah it's a it's a it's a fun well that's a wonderful movie yes but it's a but uh yeah ed's behavior at the end is kind of interesting because he like he goes to bite him yes. but then he doesn't and he's like all right back to the game then <laughs> And, and yeah, and I mean, you know, in, in the more serious stuff, there there have been plenty of movies that have explored that going, and you and I have talked about this in the past, going all the way up to like the other end of the spectrum where you do stories about self-aware, sentient, basically human functioning zombie people. And so there's a whole wide range there of possibility for exploring that kind of story. Well, what's interesting about this notion of the self-aware zombie is I pick films, I help jury films at a horror festival, Horrible Imaginings, and one year we had a lot of short zombie films submitted, and they all were from the point of view of the zombie. And this was a year or so after Trump had been elected, and seeing them all together like that made me think that the zombie film was kind of being used to humanize the other because, you know, we're living in this environment, this very divisive environment where you put people in cages because you want to label them as something other that we don't want to be concerned about. And it was interesting that even this thing that we all kind of agree is terrifying, like you don't want a zombie near you and they're scary creatures, to try and humanize even a monster like that seemed like trying to humanize this notion of the other. And, it, and again, it was the fact they all came at the same time, all in one group. And you're kind of like, wait a minute, why is the zombie film suddenly really focusing on this? Sure. And, and like a lot of things, it's cyclical. I mean, you can go back through the whole history of not just zombies, but horror in general, science fiction too. You have plenty of storytelling where we explore the idea of quote unquote humanizing the other, basically with the you know, trying, you hope anyway, trying to relay the positive message of we're all the same, drop all this ridiculous stuff about color of the skin and ethnicity and all that, just 
get along. We're all people. We're all the same. And you see that in all these stories. It's interesting, just to, totally not zombie, but uh, certainly in the realm of horror and science fiction. I was just recently rewatching um, Creature from the Black Lagoon sequel, oh, yeah. Revenge of the Creature, which is my favorite of those three anyway. Um, but like so many of those stories and that one is just a, yet another variation on the king kong idea steal the creature out of its home environment take it someplace turn it into a show it escapes everybody's really shocked that it escaped why would it do this we only took it out of everything it ever knew and loved and put it on display in chains and and then uh you gotta hunt it down and destroy it but underlying all that of course is the idea that the human beings are the monsters you you rip this thing out of its place where it always was and it was fine and you you destroyed it and we see that with humanizing the zombie and exploring that as well. In fact, that takes us back to one of the main movies you mentioned earlier too, because one of the main themes Romero really laid into Land of the Dead was the idea that the zombies were starting to find their own sense of community. He knows we're here. Christ, it's like he's talking to them. And at the very end of that movie, I think one of the most beautiful things about that film is that incredible moonlit shot as they walk across the bridge and they're like, no, let them go. They're just trying to find a place. And that's that's a great message. That's the idea. It's like, you know, they're just other people. Another thing that's interesting to me about zombie films is that they have been kind of infecting cinemas across the world. There are zombie films that come from every continent except for Antarctica, although Antarctica is sometimes referred to as the place to go because of less populated and incredibly cold. But it seems like it's something that goes everywhere. And I'm just wondering, in looking at some of the films, do you feel that the zombie film kind of takes on, or the virus of the zombie takes on kind of a different quality in different countries? And what does that kind of reflect? Well, yeah, it does. And, but only in, I mean, in the sense that you tell that kind of story, regardless of the minutia, like, you know, how's the zombie created? What kind are you talking about? Fast, slow, that kind of thing. That varies, of course, too. Um, the kind of, you know, the extent of the makeup effects and the action and all those things. But absolutely, you translate a story like that to different cultures, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, and they all bring to it their history and their perspective on the world and their community. And as a result, you get an insight into what they're thinking about, what their politics are, what their culture is. And it's through that lens of the zombie. And sometimes it can be a bit opaque unless you're really uh, versed enough to understand that perspective. I've talked in the past about how, to me, some of the most way out and, and strangest zombie movies you can see and some of the most inventive and, and visually impressive are Japanese zombie movies. But I also find that because I'm not nearly as well versed in Japanese culture, that a great many of the uh, symbolic metaphorical things that are going on in those films, I need to do research to understand what some of that is because I'm, it's not an innate thing to me as it is, you know, to look at uh, American films or certain other films. And yet uh, you're gaining an extraordinary insight into that perspective. And in fact, most recently, um, there's several people have been talking about a lot. One Cut of the Dead is one that oh, that's I, brilliant. I still have yet to see. And 
everybody talking about that one too. And um, and so you're absolutely right. You go to different countries around the world during the 2000s, during that like post 2001 surge, we started seeing zombie movies crop up in countries that had never before produced one. Uh, and at the time I was working on zombie mania, we were talking about, Hey, the first zombie movie ever done in Greece and the first movie in Pakistan and first Thailand uh, zombie movie. And very often what you find is initially the zombie movies that are produced by countries whose cultures do not necessarily contain the same kind of uh, mythology about that kind of undead creature or that notion will usually just be making a film that is they're attempting to do a version of a Western zombie movie or an American zombie movie or a European one. And then maybe one or two down the line or someone even if the first, if they're if they have a lot to say, you find they adapt it to their perspective, to their culture, and suddenly you see something that is very unique and much more uh, taking that idea and running with it and making it their own. Um, and so it, it depends on what culture you're looking at, depends on what country. But at this point, as you pointed out, zombies are pretty much all around the world. I I, I was trying to look before we recorded to see if I could find any direct answer for you. I couldn't immediately find something that says here definitively is the list of countries that don't have one yet, but that changes all the time. I mean, um, we, we were just talking before we were recording and you're like, well, maybe not Swiss and there's one in Switzerland. So, so, you know, just wait a few minutes and another one will, will pop up. Well, I spoke to a, a neuroscientist friend of mine who's also a pop culture fanatic, and we talked about pandemic films and a surge in virus-related, sometimes zombie, but not necessarily strictly, in Asia, of course, would come after SARS and MERS. And, you know, it's, it's this sense of there's something real in the world that's scaring us, and how do we translate that into something that people will find entertaining and yet also kind of connect with uh, in another way. And so there was this real surge in kind of Asian films right about that time that there was SARS. And I think we may be seeing another surge after this pandemic. Oh, I would think so. I think, unfortunately, another thing we're going to see a surge of is tons and tons of movies where the entire movie is just happening in like a Zoom call with everybody. <laughs> I mean, that already was getting tired a few a couple months ago, and now I see like I saw some other horror movie being advertised. I won't say a name because I'm not going to shame you. I mean, also people are just trying to make a living and get people work and do stuff. So there's nothing, no harm in that really. But so another horror movie, it's like, oh, it's going to be a found footage deal, but it's all zoom and everything. I'm thinking, all right, this is, this is going to be played out pretty quickly, but you know, but what else can you do? Well, in, in terms of kind of the, the flavor of the zombie film in different countries, because I just recently watched soul station, which is the prequel to train to Busan, I noticed that the Korean films, and I also just watched an Indonesian one, these are countries where melodrama is popular, and not just popular, but embraced, like un people aren't embarrassed about embracing kind of the melodrama format. And it seems like Korean films especially pull on the sense of melodrama in the way they create characters that we really care about and then do horrific things to them. 
And that <laughs> seems to be like the main thread running through Korean films for me is they really make you care. You get very involved in these the personal lives of these characters in ways that you don't often have in American films, which tend to be a little more... A lot of American films either tend to be more action-driven with a focus on, on that moving forward and um, or on social commentary. But the a lot of these Asian films seem to embrace that sense of melodrama about family relationships, about making sure you go and take care of your mom or that you care about this relationship between the characters. And then when one of them dies, it really hits you. And I, I do feel that when we saw uh, train to Busan initially. One of the things that really struck me about it was one of the first comments I made everywhere was this is the kind of movie that can teach a lot of filmmakers here a thing or two about how to construct a film that is exciting, action-packed, has all the horror and, and uh, visceral and adrenaline thrills you'd want, but is based thoroughly in character and in investing you emotionally. Yes in the story and in the characters. And frankly, that's just what good storytelling should be. And yes, I think that it's a case where maybe culturally from place to place too, there are people that are embracing that kind of storytelling more readily. And, uh, you know, I mean, in, in, in this country, the, the American blockbuster machine, you know, sought the high ticket prices and the, the, high movie going volume very often to the detriment of development of character and story because it was about spectacle and and there's a lot you know you could explore about that but certainly there are also plenty of good examples where you get both and you you combine the two and you can get a great story out of that and one of the things we've often talked about uh is how the zombie genre is often exploited in the same way as something just meant for the visceral thrills. But if you're really going to take a look at the zombie as metaphor, as a figure of, you know, symbolic representation of different aspects of our culture, it is inherently a genre that at its best is character driven and focuses on people and explores all the different dynamics of those people. Train to Basan, I think, is one of the best, you know, recent examples of that. Of, of having the best of both worlds. You get the action and the excitement, and you also get an, an emotionally involving story where you really care. And like you just said also, things things are painful when when they play out because of that. And on a more ridiculous note, when the zombie film came from New Zealand, we've got a couple there, but I do remember the uh, one called Black Sheep where Somebody, the filmmaker had mentioned that there's a, the ratio of sheep to people is outrageous. And so the scariest thing he could think of is what if you had zombie sheep that would be attacking you? So again, in a kind of very silly way, mm-hmm. <laughs> the filmmaker took a personal aspect to say like, well, <laughs> this is what would be scary to me. <laughs> and there you go, adapting it to local culture, which is the best kind of storytelling. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting too. You don't You don't see many zombie movies more recent, more recent years than in the distant past that actually exploit the idea of zombies happening beyond humanity. First of all, it's just a simple production question. It gets complicated when you start thinking about, well, are, are dogs and cats and gerbils also becoming zombies and how do we do that? But a lot of movies have taken advantage of it. I, I would throw out a plug for a fun, a fun one from the last several years. Um, 
Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse uh, also incorporates animals in a way that's mainly meant for humor, but you, know, you don't see it that often. Well, and then another film where I think local cultural kind of politics played into it that made it scary, uh, the Canadian film Pontypool, Canada is a place where you have two languages, French and, and uh, English spoken. And in Pontypool, the really scary thing about it is the way the virus spreads in this one. It's not just a bite, it's a mere word can infect your brain. And that was just played out in a creepy, <laughs> scary sort of way. I can't remember how it ends. I can't remember how it ends. How what ends, Farage? It just keeps starting over and over and over and over, and it's not called the Lawrence and the table, is it? Not anymore. No. No. Pra, 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 pra. Okay, folks. I guess that's it. I think Pontypool is brilliant. And uh, I came to a very, very late. Uh, I mean, obviously, as you can already tell, there are plenty of movies that have been around for a while I still haven't caught up to. So it's no surprise that it took a while before I got to Pontypool from when it was originally out. And uh, a lot of people were into zombies had already seen it. But uh, when I finally caught up to it, I was very impressed. First of all, it's a very, very low budget very contained film. It's basically like a theatrical play. Like a radio play almost, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is appropriate. And and uh, it achieves so much with that restraint and that idea, particularly of like broadcasting words that can kill and uh, and spreading something that is deadly and dangerous via the airwaves and listening to it can kill you. There are so many ways that that makes so much sense now even than when it was first out, that it's another example, uh, like we talked about, about some others. So many of these movies, zombie movies in particular, are not just relevant to the time in which they're released, but they can easily be just as relevant, if not more so, much later and in the present, because you bring to it all the things you're experiencing now, and it's a very powerful set of symbols that can be translated to the present. And Pontypool is a great example of that. Yeah, and in today's climate, you can think about these words infecting the brain almost as uh, you know ideas that you hear things that change your perspective on the world and make you a different person. And that's a different sort of way to interpret that virus. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that's a very powerful way of interpreting it and it makes Pontypool very relevant. There is a monster loose and it's bouncing through our language, frantically trying to keep its host alive. Is this transmission itself? Uh... No, 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 no. If, if the bug enters us, it does not enter by making contact with our eardrum, no. It enters us when we hear the word and we understand it. Understand? It is when the word is understood that the virus takes hold and it copies itself in our understanding. Yeah, I wish more people would see that film. I love that movie. Another film where kind of local culture played into it in a, 
an interesting and, and ridiculous sort of way was uh, Dead Snow, where you have, I think this was billed as the first Norwegian zombie mm-hmm. film, but it taps into some of the history of the area and it gave us not for the first time but it gave us nazi zombies who have been a popular kind of subgenre for a while that's right but they really played with that in a clever way yeah and there are a lot of people that uh draw connections between dead snow and evil dead because it it obviously was inspired by sam raimi's kind of approach to filmmaking and and some of the similar kind of elements um very striking visually. I mean, just the idea of those zombies against the, the white snow and everything, it's a great visual. And yeah, as you pointed out, the Nazi zombie is one of these uh, tried and true subgenres. It stretches all the way back to the 40s and has been there since basically almost the very beginning of the genre, going back to films like Revenge of the Zombies and um, a few others, usually starring John Carradine. And um, <laughs> and all the way up to the present with yet another one I haven't seen yet, Overlord, which I, I'll have to. Oh yeah. Um, but going through films like Shockwaves and and uh, lots of other great examples. Frankly, the more the more we've discovered that we're all now, you know, and probably always have been living with actual zombies next to it. That's, I said zombies. See what I did there. What I was going to say was, now that we've all discovered that we've been living next to actual Nazis for so long now, and they're very proud to say that, I find the Nazi zombie subgenre almost irrelevant at this point, <laughs> because here they are, they're here, they've always been here, uh, and they're, they're, uh, they're perfectly happy to tell you about it. So maybe there'll be more Nazi zombie movies now, I don't know. Yes, that's always a possibility. Yeah, I am curious to see what this, the combination of quarantining, protests, and pandemic will produce in the zombie genre. There are so many things about this current situation that obviously, not just, or like, you know, two of us wouldn't be talking about it, that not only lend themselves so well to the genre, but there are going to be people out there going to come up with the really clever ways to tell a story either metaphorically or directly about this time and this experience through the zombie lens and you know create a zombie movie that is a pandemic and the thing is people are already doing it i've seen plenty of news about oh there's a movie coming up that's going to be a zombie movie set during the pandemic but of course anybody with a an iphone and a few friends on a weekend can shoot some stuff that's one of the things about the genre that's it's not that difficult to put together the question is can you put together something good or clever or innovative and there will be there will be innovative and clever and good zombie movies that are done with this era in mind maybe not until after we're out of it um if only for production reasons it'll be difficult you know, maybe even while we're in the middle of it, it'll capture it in some way. And, and uh, that's that's what the genre does. It reflects culture in the present. And as I was just saying earlier, it can still function in the future. So we'll certainly see movies that are zombie films that capture this point in time. I want to see the absurd comedy where you have all the people saying zombies are fake news just as they're about to be eaten. <laughs> This is what we're saying. It's like it, it's it's unbelievable how much the what we thought was stupid in horror movies doesn't even scratch the surface. We, this is 
this is what we need now. We need like, I've seen 40,000 people on Twitter making the same joke. Not that it's not good, but everybody doing the same joke. You know, you need a zombie movie now where people are running toward them saying, this isn't real and, and getting bitten. It's like, yeah, there you go. That's the world we live in. I think I remember John Sayles talking about uh, having to write Piranha. And he said the most difficult thing was to create reasons for people to go in the water when they knew it would kill them. Oh my and, God. And there was no, like, there was, it's not like, you know, water is something that can easily be avoided generally. Right, And right. he said that was the most difficult thing. And I, I, I feel like you couldn't have written a film about our current situation and made it seem plausible. Like people go like, no, no, no. <laughs> It's that old it's that old thing we always say and it's so true right now. It's like if you wrote any of the things that have happened in the last, oh, I don't know, three and a half years, nearly four years, you know, people would say, Well, that's ridiculous. Um, but there it is. We're seeing all that. And and the thing is if you try to capture this in a movie, I think it probably still wouldn't work because we'd expect a certain level of logic and, and storytelling from a film that the real world clearly is not capable of providing. So I don't know, but yeah, he's right. It's like, my God, all the hoops you have to jump through to find justification for people's behavior. And it's like, look, look at what people are doing. They're walking right into the fire. They don't care. So. Well, I think I had, I woke up the other day to demon semen trending. Yeah. And, and when I looked yeah. at, at the story, I said, no, this is an onion headline. Yep. And it wasn't. We live in the onion now, Beth. That's it. And I felt like I felt such vast sympathy for political comedy writers because I said, "How can you compete with the real world when right. you have those real headlines?" <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's insane. And so, yeah, I, I think um, it's hard to believe that we're going to be looking back at a lot of horror. I mean, I've already I've already experienced it. Not necessarily just zombies, but there's been a lot of times we put on a, a favorite old movie halloween or friday 13th or something like that and some moment will come up and we'll be like this this is ridiculous it's like there's it just doesn't correspond at all to what a person's behavior would be which would be so much dumber than what you're seeing <laughs> and uh and yeah it's it's uh it's kind of mind-numbing actually but it'll be interesting to see how some of this stuff gets reflected and i don't know you know, when that will be or what shape that will take. But obviously one day in the future, all goes well. We managed to get to the other side of this thing. There will be movies about zombies that will very clearly be mapped onto this particular experience. And, uh, and who knows what kind of changes will happen culturally and socially too, that we're only just seeing the beginnings of that will change everything. I was talking before about blockbusters and movie going, when's that going to really come back? But then again, you know, I say that, but I say that only from the perspective of those of us who are sane enough to realize you shouldn't walk into an enclosed space with recycled air. Most people out there are going to very happily walk right back into the theater again. They'll do it today. So maybe movie theaters don't have to worry so much if they can last long enough. People show up. Well, I always enjoy speaking to you. And do you have any closing words or any films that you would want to suggest people watch while they're quarantining at home? Um, you know, I actually was, was thinking before we started recording that I should have something like that to recommend. 
And uh, it may not be something zombie fans want to hear, but what I'll just say in very general, in a very general sense is my wife, my wife and I have found that we're revisiting a lot of old favorites and uh, actually spending an extraordinary amount of time watching every possible Mystery Science Theater episode 47 times over and over again. This has become our go-to. So actually, I would recommend to everyone Space Mutiny, Werewolf, um, Giant Gila Monster is a good Joel one. Uh, but really, what I'd really say is find things that make you happy. And whether that's a movie where zombies are tearing people to pieces, which is fine, or a romantic comedy or something, the important thing right now is find things that make you happy. And uh, whatever that might be. And if it's zombie movies, that's great. But uh, if it's something else, that's great too. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's always a joy talking with you. And I hope we get to do it again. And hopefully at a time where things are a little more settled and, and hopeful as well. That was Arnold T. Blumberg, a.k.a. the Doctor of the Dead, honoring me with an interview to celebrate Cinema Junkie's 200th episode. Thanks to all of you who also joined me for this milestone. If you enjoyed this or any of the 199 previous episodes, then please tell a friend. Your recommendation is the best way for Cinema Junkie to expand its audience. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident Cinema Junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.